The way I describe it is I'm building my authentic practice and I'm going into it exactly the way I want. And it's, it's interesting in optometry, there's so much push to do things the way that things have always been done and to do it the same way. And I'm hoping to buck that trend and hopefully inspire people that even at 43, you can cold start and you don't have to do it the same way that everyone else has done it. If that's not what fills your cup and what you want. So again, I, I'm doing this because I want to, not because I have to. So I'm going into it really being deliberate in every decision I'm making that I have a vision, I have a plan. And if something doesn't fit that or, or it doesn't feel right, we're not going to do it just to, you know, to do something. So I think really having a plan to do that and having a, a plan for the future. You know, I have a plan of when I want to bring in an associate and not just kind of start the business and hope things work out, um, but really being thoughtful about it. Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Jennifer Stewart. We discussed kind of forming your identity and, and if you could start your practice over again or start your practice for the first time, what would you want it to look like? What would your patient look like? And how would you lean into the things that you're good at and you love doing? Please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends and support those who support us. Young and emerging presbyopes can be tricky. These patients want and need additional help at near, but they can be resistant to solutions that create even mild distance blur. The MyDay multifocal lens has been great for our presbyopic patients. It allows those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily. We've had this lens now for long enough that we've been able to see how simple transitions can be from an adaptation standpoint from lower ad designs to higher ad designs. The MyDay multifocal material is CooperVision's softest one-day hydrogel lens and features aquaform technology combining the unique balance of high oxygen permeability with natural wettability in one material. The result is a highly breathable lens that keeps our patient's eyes looking clear, white, and healthy. So if you haven't started utilizing MyDay Multifocal in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your CooperVision representative to get started. As you know, patients with vitreous floaters are often frustrated by their symptoms. The challenge as clinicians is to offer solutions for our patients for vitreous floaters that are effective. But more often than not, the options of YAG vitreolysis and vitrectomy are not practical because the benefits don't outweigh the risks. That's where Vitreous Health from MacuHealth comes into play. Previously on the podcast, I've discussed the flies study with Dr. John Nolan. And the bottom line is that I can be confident prescribing this for my patients with floaters because I can tell them a large randomized placebo controlled trial found that after six months of supplementation with Vitreous Health, floaters were reduced in size by approximately 30% and 70% of patients had an improvement in their symptoms. Vitreous Health has been great for my patients, and we really feel like we have a viable option to treat patients with vitreous floaters now that we didn't have before. If you're not utilizing Vitreous Health for your patients, reach out to your Macchia Health representative now. What, what um, you know, people kind of like to take stock at the end of the year. What, um, what are the things that have excited you this year that you're kind of like, wow, that was, maybe you're really goal-oriented. Um, I do have goals, but that but I don't feel like I have to, like, I have these lists of things I want to do. Are there things that you were able to achieve this year that you're pretty excited about? 
Well, I'm starting a brand new practice. So I saw that. That is that is uh that wasn't on my list in January first. I always start the year and try and make a list and then that's why I don't. Yes. <laughs> Either you feel like you're a failure because you didn't get to those, or there's mostly for me, there's things that I've done that I was like, wow, I would have never expected that January 1st. So this like is a huge one for me that we're opening a brand new practice. Hopefully I was saying middle of December. Now I'm saying end of December. Now I'm saying probably in the new year. So, but six months ago, I guess six months ago is probably when I I actually six months ago it wasn't even on my radar. So this is a second half of twenty twenty three goal that is marching along very quickly. What so I you know, so if I take this back to when we first I think it was probably like I first met you probably four or five years ago. I was trying to remember if it was like twenty eighteen. Probably like I, I was trying to remember. I think it was twenty eighteen. Yes. Yeah. And you had already so, owned a practice. Yeah. So I joined my practice right after I graduated. I, my former practice, I joined there a year after I graduated. I moved to Connecticut, joined as as an associate, bought in a year and a half later and was there for 14 years. I was there from 2008 to 2022 to June of 2022 and decided to take the leap and sell and kind of see what else was out there. I love speaking, writing, consulting, traveling, and was feeling kind of a pull to do that. And it was hard to do with running a big practice. And after being home during COVID too, I have two young, well, they're not as young now. I have two boys who are eight and 10. So I enjoyed being home with them during COVID. I had never, I didn't take a maternity leave when either of them were born. So i had never had the opportunity to, to be home. Although we were all home during COVID. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's when I started thinking about it and then decided, you know, I was at a good place to sell the practice. It was a great time to transition. We had a good team there. My former partner's daughter was there. So I felt like my patients and staff were in, a, in were well taken care of. And I decided, you know, in 2008, I made the leap to move to Connecticut and sight unseen. I didn't know anything about, I'm from New York state, but I didn't know anything about Connecticut and I took the leap to move here and join my practice. So I'm pretty good at taking calculated risks. And, and I figured if it didn't work and I didn't love consulting and speaking, I could go back to seeing patients and um, that's where I am. So it, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. That's what I love about optometry that there's so many opportunities and so many ways to reinvent yourself and to do things just to try something and then, go do something else as well. It's pretty bold. So did you sell to your, to the younger associate? Is that who you sold the practice to? I sold back to my former partner. So okay. he took, he bought my, really? he bought me out. Um, so it was a, it was a good, everything aligned and, and it was a great time to do it. And I, you know, it, it took me a long time to make the decision. It felt to everyone that it was kind of overnight, but for me, of course, there was a lot of family talk and decisions and figuring out if it was the right time. But for me, it was great. My last day of patient care at my former practice was the last day of school for my kids. So oh, wow. I timed it. I, I was able to, I'd never been around in the summer. So that summer, I, I've had two summers home with them, just kind of embracing, taking them to summer camp and swim meets and, and traveling too. It, the benefit was if I wanted to travel I could just say yes. I didn't have to worry about 
patient schedule and moving people and, and figuring that out. So it was nice to be a little flexible and say, oh, you need me to be in Florida? Sure, I, I can make that work. Or um, you need me to do this? Absolutely. So it was, it was great to be able to say yes to many things. So then as you reinvent, so you, you made the comment, which I, I, I don't think, I don't know if you meant it this way, but you made the comment that, um, if, if it wasn't, if you didn't love consulting and speaking, I didn't, I don't, when I listen to you, I don't think, well, you can't lo not love this. Maybe you don't, but I'm like, well, you, certainly you're good at it and, and, uh, you enjoy it, but what pulled you back? Was it that you just didn't get as fulfilled as you wanted to doing just that? Or what pulled you back into the idea of building another practice? I miss patient care. I know that that's crazy. And, and sometimes my friends are like, are you sure? Wait, why is that crazy? No, no. Why is that crazy? I think a, a lot of people were um, very interested in, in what I was doing, removing myself from patient care. And I know that people are typically, you know, kind of difficult right now. And um, I, I, there's so many ODs that had reached out to me over the last year and a half who are looking to exit patient care, or looking for opportunities to do something different. And I was able to, to really take that leap and to do it full time and to not split my time between patient care. But I miss it. I miss the patients. I think also being in the industry and, and it's not like I took a sabbatical or retired and, and exited eye care at all. I've still I feel like I've been more immersed in it now because I have the time and it's fun to watch people grow their businesses. A lot of my friends are cold starting. They're starting second locations or third and fourth locations. They're hiring associates. And I love hearing these stories. And I go, I kind of miss that. You know, I, I, I miss the business piece. And I, I've learned so much over the last year and a half about the industry and having the time to really invest in listening and reading. And it started to pull me back. And I said, what if I, what would I do differently this time? If I were to start over and completely reinvent myself again at 43, what would that practice look like? And I feel really excited and I'm, I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to do it and do it exactly the way I wanted. So I've had this, the luxury of time to really sit back and plan it. And I was pretty specific. I said, if I ever went back to patient care and if I ever open an office again, I'm going to be very picky. And this is exactly how I want it to look and what I want it to be. So it's been fun to really now put that into play and to create that. So, um, okay. So what are the, uh, a couple of things I don't want to forget about that you just brought up, but, but one of the things that I think it's, it's this idea. And I, I struggle with this, Jennifer, and I, I've struggled with it on the podcast openly is, um, you know, for the last probably two years, um, you know, the, the idea of being able to just remove myself from clinical practice has been a reality. Like it's been an option. And I just don't really, I like, I, I am guarded against that. I talked to, actually, I talked to, I think, you know, him, um, Scott Jens, just personally. Yeah. And, um, he gave me some good perspective about that. Um, and, uh, and one of the things he said was, you know, I, I am very concerned that I lose, uh, I will lose touch with um, the people who listen to me, um, the people that I have really great relationships with, my mentors, people that have guided me over time, I'll lose touch with them. And uh, if I'm if I'm out of practice, if I just completely hang it up. And also, 
really that's secondary. The first thing is I really like seeing patients. I do. Um, but I, but then there's this opportunity and I think you've presented it where it's like, well, I have all these other opportunities over here that don't require me to, you know, show up on a schedule and see patients on a schedule. Um, and that's intriguing because I can jump down to do this in the dungeon or, you know, build, (laughs) we're building actually we're uh, it's just completed. I'm excited about this. this is the first, I think maybe the first or second podcast I've noted this, but in 2024, uh, the new podcast studio will be completely uh, new, brand new. So, I, so I spent about um, a month and a half building it. And um, anyway, the point is, is I was hoping to do this conversation there. I'm meandering a bit, but uh, he said to me, Scott Jen said to me that you don't, you know, you your clinic experience, your experience as a business owner is going to last you at minimum ten years once you stop seeing patients. That's hard for me to see. That's really hard for me to to see. And when you tell me you started missing it after a year and a half, I know he's talking about something different than what you're talking about. But um, maybe people don't need to work themselves out of clinical practice, right? Maybe it's just that you have to say, like, this is the amount of clinical practice I want to do. And that fills that bucket. And then I can do something else. And then when I'm with patients, it's like, it's like I get to pour into those patients and I get a and and I'm more resistant to people that are, you know, unhappy or on, you know, it doesn't happen that often, but it, it, it protects you from that because one patients that really want to see you on your schedule are going to cherish those appointments. You can be more selective with the patients that you're going to see. And then, uh, and then when patients do get in to see you, it's, it's about taking care of them, not their eyeballs. Right. And so, I don't know. I, I like that aspect of what we do. And I think not abandoning it completely. I've been reserved to abandon it completely. I'm not saying that's the right or wrong decision. It's just the one I struggle with. I think I've never seen patients five days a week. So I maybe my first, I guess the first year. Um, so I've always needed that buffer. I know myself. I know I need a day away. I know I need a day to refresh and you know, it can be exhausting and you, you know, I, I'm an extrovert by nature, but I feel like I have a little introverted need and I, I like being home and catching up on things. So I, I love that balance. And I always, I was three days a week in my practice for years and years and years. So I saw patients three days. So I did have those two days to do other things going into a cold start. I'm trying to hold on to that. And I'm trying to I, I know myself and I know if I do five full days seeing patients, I will burn out quickly. So I will probably do four to start unless we're overloaded. We have a waiting list, which is really exciting. So that's great. Um, but I, I, I don't plan to be there every minute of every waking day. And I hope to hope and plan, you know, hope is it's more planned to hire an associate early on so that I can continue to, to work on the business instead of working in the business. And I think that's where so many people feel they're drowning is they are there seeing patients every minute of every day. And then, oh gosh, now I have to go home and you know be a CEO. There's no time to strategize and to think and grow. So again, I love patient care, but I, I know myself that I will not be able to do it full time, five, six days a week, because I know I need that time to sit back and do training with my team. I have a wonderful office manager, so I'm trying to teach her leadership and strategy and help her be the leader of the practice that the the staff go to. But all that takes time. And I have two young boys still, and, and I'm not doing this to then abandon being around them and being able to go into school and go to a sporting events. So 
the way I describe it is I'm building my authentic practice and I'm going into it exactly the way I want. And it's, it's interesting in optometry, there's so much push to do things the way that things have always been done and to do it the same way. And I'm hoping to buck that trend and hopefully inspire people that even at 43, you can cold start and you don't have to do it the same way that everyone else has done it. If that's not what fills your cup and what you want. So Again, I, I'm doing this because I want to, not because I have to. So I'm going into it really being deliberate in every decision I'm making that I have a vision, I have a plan. And if something doesn't fit that or, or it doesn't feel right, we're not going to do it just to, you know, to do something. So I think really having a plan to do that and having a, a plan for the future. You know, I have a plan of when I want to bring in an associate and not just kind of start the business and hope things work out. Um, but really being thoughtful about it. And again, I've had that time and I, I did enjoy that time away from clinical care because I felt the reverse. I didn't feel like I lost connection with people. I felt, I look back at the number of people I've met since June of 2022 that I've connected with either virtually through email, through social media or in person. And I go, gosh, I'd never have had the time to meet them and talk to them and, and, listen and engage. So I feel almost the reverse that I made all these connections outside of clinical care that I might not have before. And now I go into this with a whole different perspective of knowing what the industry is like outside of my exam room. Mm -hmm. I feel like so many times we're in our, our practice, we're in our exam room and, and we don't have the bigger picture of what the eye care industry looks like. So I feel that that this time, man, I've been able to, to, to really learn some things and see kind of on a global perspective what is going on. And now I can go back into my small little practice and take the lessons I've learned from, from being able to have that time out there and really create something magical. So some people might say, and I think I'm saying it right now, would be that you have the luxury to not have to do this the same way that everybody else does. So I'm interested in what you're doing that's different than you've ever done. Um, and, and I don't say that you've had the luxury or the privilege in a bad way, like, like you've earned that you've, 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 uh, you know, you've worked hard for the years, you've taken risks, you've, so you should be able to do that. But, you know, what are you planning on doing um, that is different than what you've done before? And then what can people that, you know, maybe don't have the luxury like you have, or maybe I have to kind of sit back and say, I'm going to do this differently where they're just like, I got a, I got, you know, quarter of a million dollars or more of student loans to pay. Plus, you know, I'm, I'm staring down, like, I want to start my own business. It's going to be this much. And I, so I know there's a formula for that. What are you going to do differently? And what can we learn from you? So I think it started when I graduated. I mean, I, I knew right away that I wanted to own a business. So instead of buying a brand new car right after I graduated and <laughs> you know, kind of living the doctor life. I lived at home for a year. I told, I brown, brown bagged it. I still bring my lunch every day. That's, that's one thing I'm, I'm like, oh gosh, I have to go back to making my lunch. Like I eat, I'm home. So I make my lunch here, but packing lunch is one thing I dread. <laughs> I don't want to pack lunch for my kids. I now I have to make my own lunch and think ahead. But I mean, I've always been really deliberate in goals and, and I think through where I want to be and I don't just hope and, and, I don't just hope that it's going to happen. So I graduated and knew I wanted to own a practice within five years of graduating. So I set myself up for that. I didn't take out personal debt. I didn't take on a car loan. I mean, I still, I drive a 2011 car right now. You know, I have a 
old car. I haven't had a car payment in eight years where would it be nice to have a new car? Yes. But I, I knew I would be taking on a business loan this year. And it, it, I set my life up to support the risks that I want to take because that's important to me. So I'm very deliberate in, in, in living well under our means. We are, you know, we live in, Connecticut, in Fairfield County, Connecticut, which is one of the wealthiest and most expensive mm. places to live in the country. Um, but I still really focus on what do I want in the future and how do I set myself up there? So I think it didn't start, you know, a year ago where I said, now I want to start a business or this year it's, it's this deliberate way of living life, knowing what I want down the line, financial stability and security time is more important. So I think first is taking stock of what's important to you and being honest and, and some people it is a new car and that's absolutely fine. But what's the most important to you? For me, it's time. Having time to do what I want is the utmost of importance to me. So how do I create a life to give me that flexibility of time? What does that look like? What do I maybe have to sacrifice to get there? But how do I get there? And what does that look like? So I think it's really first knowing what yourself and knowing, you know, kind of taking stock and being honest with What's important? What do you want? A vacation house? Do you want to retire at 50? Do you want eight practices? And it, it and not being swayed by what other people deem as success and deem as being successful. Mm. So it, it's hard. It's really, you know, it's hard to, to do that and to kind of buck the trends. But for me, I think that was the first step of saying, I love owning a business. I love the financial security, the flexibility and the time that it gives me. Um, I've never worked for somebody else. I don't think I ever could now, especially. <laughs> it's hard. I, so, it's hard. yeah, I, I mean, I think there, there's just sort of a, you know, on the one hand, um, it, you know, you're, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people where, or there are people that you could work for that just aren't, like they may not be good business people. They may not be good people. And so there's that, but then also like, um, I, I think there's certain things that drive, you know, uh, drive people to own businesses, to be entrepreneurs. I couldn't agree with you more about, um, the idea of like living below your means. And, uh, I, I attribute all of the things I've been able to do to like, Dave Ramsing it right out of school. And, uh, and that taught me so many lessons. Now I, I do think you now rightly or wrongly, I do think that some of that stuff runs out when you are a, a business owner and yeah. you do have high potential. Uh, but the principles, like there's still certain principles that really hold and, um, but that allows so much flexibility. It allows for privilege. It allows for advantage to, to be like, Hey, here's an opportunity that I can see that will fit and align with my schedule, my, my lifestyle, my beliefs about what I think about myself and my family time. And, uh, and I can execute on that as opposed to like, no, I can't, not even do I not want to, or I see a path, but like the bank's not going to let me, uh, or if they do let me, it's a very risky proposition as opposed to, like you said, it's, it's like, well, I can calculate the risks that are inherent in this. I can know what's going to happen if this goes wrong and I can understand that risk and, and still like, know like, okay, there, there is a risk, but I can still proceed that way. Right. I can sleep at night knowing that I've thought this through. So it, it's, and I think 
I've always been that way. So it's nothing that happened this year. I think that's always how I've thought. But going into this practice, the same rules applied. I did the same thing. I said, you know, what's most important to me if I'm going to start a practice? What what would that look like? What what would make me excited to get up in the morning and go to an office? And I talked to so many new practice owners about this, you know, people who are interested in cold starting, people who want to buy a practice. So this can apply to new grads to, you know, I've been out of school. I graduated in 2007. So many years. Yeah. 16 um, so not, years. Yeah, 16 years, almost year. 17 yeah. years. So yeah. it's not just for those who are new grads. I think there's a lot of my friends now are cold starting, which is really exciting to see. Interesting. Um, at, at, or, that are our age. That are our age. Our age. Yes. Yeah. I have like a huge group of them who in the last five years, I'd say plus or minus, um, who have cold started. So it's not too late. And that's, that's what I'm excited about. It's, it's a, it's definitely a unique time to start a business, but so, you know, what am I doing differently there? I, you know, really have this strong sense. I sat down and said, what does my ideal patient look like? What is that person that I want to take care of? What do I love about optometry? And honestly, what don't I love? And that's that when I teach students, I tell them, you know, I know you're in optometry school and you're being bombarded by so much information and so many practice modalities and things that we can do. That doesn't mean you have to do them all. And it doesn't mean you have to like them all. And that's okay. And there's parts of optometry that I absolutely love. And there's parts that just don't excite me and, and really don't. What doesn't excite you? I, you know, I'm not a medical, I don't love medical optometry there. I said it, you know, wow. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, glaucoma, I, I know it's like, oh, but it's okay. I don't love glaucoma. I, you know, yeah. it doesn't excite okay. me. I, I don't find it. It's not really something that drives me. I mean, I, I, I definitely treat it, but in this practice, I'm making a, you know, a decision that that's not the patient model that I want to have. And thankfully mm. I have wonderful colleagues, optometrists in my community that I've already reached out to and said, Hey, you know, I'm in a, I mean, my space is a beautiful retail space on a highly trafficked street in a very wealthy community. It's all windows. It's a, it's a beautiful space. It's not the right setting for me to manage glaucoma, would you be able, you know, would you mind if I refer my patients to you for that type of care? So it doesn't have to be that you have to do all things to everybody. I know what I like. I know what excites me. I love optical. I mean, that's the other, I absolutely hmm. love the optical piece. I have handpicked every single frame that we have at the, at the new practice. I designed my own line with a third generation optician, Travis Lefevre in Utah is handmaking me as we speak, mm. um, a line for the practice. That's the stuff I'm excited about. So that's, that's so where interesting. I know it's so I different. mean, that stuff, it's it, like, I, we do that, and, but I just like, that's stuff that I just have other people do. And I, yeah. it's like, I mean, it, it's, um, no, I think it's, it's interesting. It's just not my perspective at all. Mm. Like if I have a blind spot, you know, yeah. you know, I was talking to Kyle Clutie, we run together and we were just talking about like one of the worst things about, about like bias is blind spot bias. It's like the worst bias you can possibly have. And, um, I, I think, uh, I've always tried to be aware of that and, and point it out, but that is a complete blind spot for me. In fact, so much so that, <clears throat> you know, we're looking at our optical right now and, and I, and I, I want to, what I want to do is I want to like, if we look at, uh, what does well in our practice, like we can put in 
$99 specials for second pair. We can put in like uh, value-based frames that are good quality, but value. They will not move. They don't move. Patients that come to my practice don't want them. But we've tried to like we've tried to say, well, we want to have options for all these other people. And um, and really what it comes down to is we have a ton of options and we have no idea. Like we we really aren't showcasing things very well. So what we're doing in this in 2024 is my goal is to shrink down our offerings, right? Shrink them down to the the core of what we do well that we love, that like what you're saying. And when I say we, I don't mean me. It's like <laughs> I have no idea. But, but like, but like, let's do stuff that people want to see from us and let's do it really well. And, uh, but it's a total blind spot for me, like a complete blind spot. I just started looking at it like really, I mean, this will, you'll, you'll, this will be, be crazy to you. We go and, and I look at, like, I never look at, like, if I were going to buy like a supply of MacuHealth, like boxes of MacuHealth or boxes of Peak to sell to, to our patients, to offer to our patients or uh, Lipaflow dispensers or punctal occlusions, like punctal occluders. Like I look at that and I know I'm going to do this and patients are going to buy it. I'm not just buying this thing to sit on a shelf someplace. And yet, like, I don't have the same thought of like, I'm going to buy a frame or a frame line. And at some point in the next month, that frame line is going to move. Like all those frames are going to be sold off that shelf. And we're going to be putting back, like, I don't think about it like that at all. And I'm like, why don't I think about it like that? Because you know? you're more of a normal person than me. I'm like, I feel like I'm the outlier that this is, but I know myself. And again, that's, that's why I'm doing this. And I know I met with every frame vendor um, through the month of October and November. I, you know, met at a coffee shop with each frame wrap. And, and, and a lot of times they're like, wait, you're the doctor. I'm like, yes, like show me all your frames. I handpick them. It, it's not typical, but I know that being authentic to myself, if I went into this and said, you know, I'm going to have a huge glaucoma and dry eye practice, that's not what excites me. The optical piece excites me and Fair having enough. these unique offer offerings. And so every, and I, I sat down and said, what, what am I excited about? What do I love in the industry? And it's the optical piece. So I use that and I kind of backed up and said, so what is my, you know, I know what my, my, what I love. So what's the patient I want to attract? Who is that? What does he or she look like? How old are they? What are they interested in? what is, what are their spending habits and what type of practice would support that? Is it a third floor space in a medical building, you know, off the beaten path, or is it a retail space with big windows, great lighting and amazing design that attracts them to come in? So knowing exactly what I wanted made all the decisions easier and made it, you know, I kept going back to that person. Who is that person and what are they looking for? So what type of care are they looking for? What frames are they looking for? And, and I, I'm the reverse. Like, I'm so excited. I'm setting up um, a frame turn with Spexy, which actually helps you track all of the metrics and help you understand if you're pricing it correctly, measuring turnover rate. I also use GPN The Edge to, to track mm -hmm. all that. So I'm a, I, I love the statistics. And I just have to be patient and not look at them like every minute and wonder like how many have sold and what's our turnover rate. So for me, it's extra exciting going into it because I'm the one that picked all of this. So was I right? Was I wrong? I know I'll have mm. to pivot and increase styles and lines, but I, I spent a lot of time thinking about board space, how many frames did I want? What types of vendors? I'm, I'm showcasing almost all independent lines. So for me, it was really important 
to have, you know, as a small business to support other small businesses. So um, we're really showcasing kind of more independent styles. And a lot of that will be based on storytelling. So we're putting together a whole training module for our team on telling the story about the frames because they won't have a brand name. They won't right. have a name that people know that's on the temple. Like they know the names of brands. This will be things that they don't have never heard of. So why should they buy them? And why should they buy them at the price point they'll be at? Well, here's the story of how they're made. Here's where the technology comes from. Here's where the design comes from. So that's my story. And I everything I've done in the practice has been reflective of that. And from the way it will look to the lighting, to the flow, to how we kind of set up the space. So that's what I feel like I am doing different is, you know, I didn't go in there and say, I'm going to treat glaucoma, dry eye. I'm going to do myopia management. I'm going to have an optical. Um, I'm going to do, you know, all sorts of medical care. I'm going to do it all. I took the reverse and said, I'm going to do less of it, but I really mm. want to do that piece well. And that's the part I'm excited about. So it doesn't feel like work. So then what, what do you think that, how do you think that impacts the, perf the perception of our profession um if if patients come to you and they view and they view you as like a like this is a high-end optical but i don't really get the like i like i know you're going to give them good care that's not what you're saying and that's not what i'm saying but like what do you think that that's going to do like if a, if a number of people do that like it kind of does go a little bit back to the way the profession was uh, I'm not saying that, that yeah. you are saying this. I'm just saying like if, if the perspective is like I go in here and I get great, I, I get a great comprehensive exam and I get a great pair of glasses. But if I really need, if I really have a problem with my eyes, I'm going to, I'm going to see the other doctor that Dr. Stewart sent me to. Like, does that have a bearing on the, on the profession in general? The most common questions I get include what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to build with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be built together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. I don't think so because I think so many people try and do everything and, and really spread themselves thin and do everything, but they don't have an identity and they haven't thought about what that identity is. They're trying to have a high-end optical treat dry eye. Now they brought in IPL because they, they heard that that's the next thing to do, but are struggling with the success there because they, they're not passionate about it. And then 
you know, myopia management. Oh my gosh. Now I know that I'm supposed to do myopia management. So I'm trying to bring that piece in and I have no idea what's going on in my optical. And I need to take all these vision care plans because I need more patients in, but I should be billing medical. And I think we spread ourselves really thin and we try to be everything to everybody, but we don't have an identity. And it's not that I won't do medical care. I will do some. I'm just not going to manage glaucoma and, and those types of diseases. I'm 100% fine with that. Um, I, sure. you know, I have a sports vision practice and I would have referrals from other colleagues who said, I love the idea of sports vision, but it's not for me. Similar to referring out, hopefully we're referring out for vision therapy if that's not something we're interested in or have that capability. So I don't think it diminishes the the profession at all. I think it also helps us really support our colleagues who have these passions. I'm happy and it won't, I won't say it won't be ophthalmologists, but I have a great network of optometrists that I support because I don't do scleral lenses. I don't do RGPs. I do some, but that's not what I'm good at. And I'm honest with myself about that. And that's okay. It's not where I spend my time understanding the field. So for me to kind of dabble in it and try my best with patients and not give them the best care, I think in the reverse that that could be more damaging, that they're not getting the full opportunity of people who are super invested in what they're doing they are staying up to date with the latest technologies. I'd rather send them to that person than keep them there and just kind of muddle through and hope I'm doing it right. So I think it really comes down to being honest and and understanding what you like to do and, and being honest with yourself. Are you doing the best care for everybody? Are you doing the best in running your business? Are you Are you just trying to get by because you're doing all of the things, but you don't really understand the business part and and even it's if it said even if you said you know i you know I, I feel overwhelmed but i don't even know where to start maybe it's you know looking at that and saying is there a piece that i can even hire an associate you know it doesn't even have to be that you send them out but maybe that's where you say i'm booked out 6 months i'm drowning i don't love pediatrics hire a pediatric od bring them in your practice and now you can do all of the things it might not be you and it doesn't have to be you but then you can keep those patients there if you so desire. Um, I'll be doing, you know, it's not that I won't do, you know, I'm doing. No, I get it. I, I, I know I wasn't trying to put like yeah. pigeonhole you in yeah. one place. I, I know yeah. that you're, I know you already said that at the beginning. I think the, the, um, the important thing that you said there, and I do think this is what our profession struggles with. And this is why I asked that question is I do think there's an identity crisis. I think it, it, it largely comes down to, um, I think I think all of the things that we're talking about right now come down to an identity crisis with what is and, and, and it's not collective. Uh, I think it's individual. Like, you know, you know, you you talk to the doctor and, the, and where people get in trouble. And I say this all the time: is they buy a widget. The widget example that you used was IPL, but that's a great example. Uh, and 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 they have no idea. They they buy the widget because they see other people talking about it. They see you know something but they don't really have a plan for managing the disease state that that widget is used for. And so like what I always say is, is the doctor is the widget. Like if there is the one hub, it's the doctor patient relationship that has to be there very, very tight. And then you have to have a plan for whatever disease state you're going to manage. And then you think, what is this widget that I'm going to buy? What is it solving for? Right. 
And so most people just don't do that. They, they think, oh, well, I like dry eye and I think there's some money in it. And so I'm going to buy the widget. And then they're, they're left with a widget that sits there and it doesn't, it's not a, it's not a thought out piece of the entire pie. That's a problem. That's a big problem. Uh, it's a problem Especially because right it, now at the end of the year, right? It's like oh people gosh. are meeting with their accountants and their accountants are telling them to buy things. And oh, I, I see it all that. the time in Facebook, you know, what, what should I Just buy? Just pay the taxes the and take the money. Yeah. Right. It's like, yeah. what should I buy at the end of the year? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so backwards. Like, yeah. But I think I do agree with you. I think there is an identity crisis. I think part of it is on the positive side, optometry is so awesome that yeah, there are so totally. many things we can do. I mean, we are one of the only fields where we have the opportunity to do all of that. And it's really exciting. But I think people really get overwhelmed and feel feel the need to do everything for every patient and feel that they need to provide all of the care without really looking at themselves saying like, if I got to pick, if I got to do this for free, or I, you know, didn't have to do this, which most people go, well, then I wouldn't do it. But right. if, if I got to, so pick I exactly, hope that's not true. I think that I that is not. true, but like, but I think, I, I mean, you know, I've, I've often played this out. Like I don't, I don't play the lottery or anything like yeah. that, but you know, um, you know, I have some other companies and, and you think, all right, well, if, if some of those companies like really hit, and I didn't have to work, what would I do? I, I probably would do that. I probably would do a podcast. I would probably teach some. I'd probably see patients, right? And I don't like I, figure out what that patient would look like. Like who would that be? And who would you drop, you know, and not yeah. even think? Or what part of your practice, if you didn't have to do it, yeah. would you not do tomorrow? Like what patient, what don't you look forward to doing? And for me, again, I, I looked at that and said, okay, now what does that look like? What does that look like? revenue wise now what types of insurances do i take or not take to support that model so it, it and and i'm taking very little almost no insurance and that is again a, it's strategic it's well thought out it's not just throwing something against the wall and hoping it sticks it's a strategy looking at you know the type of patient and the type of person again that i am looking to work with and what they're looking to from me I don't want to see 30, 40 patients a day. It's not really in my wheelhouse. It's nothing I want to do. I want, you know, I've thought through every part of it, but also I know if, if there's something that doesn't work, I'm also flexible enough to say, I have to pivot. I'm not going to go bankrupt because I'm stubborn. Um, but, but I also feel, I mean, I've, I've, I love the numbers. I love metrics. I love the, the business part of it. So I've, I've thought this all out a lot. So, but it also comes down to, again, what is, what do I want to do and how does that look? And, and that the whole practice builds off of that. And I, again, I didn't buy an IPL because it didn't fit in my, I mean, sure. I've had companies reach out, you know, once you open a business, they're like, Oh, you know, end of your savings, take advantage of, and it could be easy to be like, sure. I want that. I want this. But again, I went back. Does that, does what's that your identity? What's your, what, yeah, what is the purpose of what it's you're not, doing? Yep. I love it. I'm, I have colleagues who are amazing at it. It's not what drives me. I love, I love contact lenses. I I'm the one piece that I haven't done, which I'm looking forward to is I didn't do any myopia management. I was too busy. I was running this practice. I knew I wanted to do it, but every time I tried, I was like, Oh my gosh, I literally don't have the time to even learn. But that's one piece I'm excited to add is myopia management. And and, and I've, I've had the time I went to um, vision by design this fall. I've always wanted to go. So I know that the, that's those guys talk about like that. 
I don't think I've said this on the podcast, but so Cheryl Chapman um, is is my partner in Peak, is one of my partners in Peak. My oh, wife yeah. and I and and Cheryl and and her husband Tom started it, and um, and uh, so I've known Cheryl for years, and I I've gone to Vision by Design, and I feel like I I feel like I stick out like a sore thumb. Like <laughs> usually I go to meetings, I I go to you know autonomous meeting, I go to Academy, I go to you know Vision Source, I, so I I have like the places I go, I know tons of people and I just feel like they're my, they're my, my brothers, right? My brothers and sisters. And I went to vision by design and I was like, Holy cow. I don't know any of these people. I knew no one, nobody. <laughs> and it was great. It was cool in one sense. Cause you could just sort of sit there and, and like absorb stuff. But in the other sense, it's like, boy, they play with some really interesting ideas and, and that's great. Like we need to have people yeah. who are thinking about things completely differently. Uh, otherwise we just, we just, like you said, like if we're not thinking about doing something different, it's just going to be the same thing and we're never going to learn or expand. But some of the stuff there, I'm like, Whoa. Yeah. My huh. brain was full by like, I did the boot camp, and I was like, Oh my gosh, it is refreshing. So I think, you know, something that is fun is if you're not comfortable with something going to a meeting, it, it's, it is refreshing. It was kind of nice to be incognito. I didn't know anybody either. I like looked around the, I was like, I literally don't know one person here and I know somebody everywhere I go. Um, but it was, it was really refreshing to learn something new and to see this whole part of optometry that I knew existed, but it's, it's unbelievable. Again, I will defer to those for complex cases. I, I realized quickly that's not something I'll, I'll want to do, but, um, but it was, it, I looked at my business model and said, you know, I'm, I'm opening in a community, a young, it's a community of young families who have significant resources and myopia management would fit well with the population. Again, I'm not opening yeah. in a low income area, which is all senior citizens and trying to do this, which you, you can do anything anywhere. But I looked at the demographic of the, the community and somewhere I live too. So I know, I know who lives there, but um, understanding kind of what they're looking for, what doesn't really exist locally and, and, and doing that. So, but knowing that the, that's something I'm excited Jennifer, about. What are the haters going to say about you? Oh, hopefully nothing. I mean, who would hate me? <laughs> I don't know. I don't I'm just know. asking. I don't I know. People, I think that I'm crazy. Well, I, I have heard, you know, I, I like to chime in sometimes on some Facebook groups and, and you add do? some, I do. Why would you do that? I don't know. Uh. My husband's like, why do you do it? I, Cause I try not to. <laughs> Unless you're a dump and runner. Do you dump and run? No, I, I like, <laughs> I don't, I tend not to post, but I love, I love to help people. And I love if there's specific questions that I think I can help, but um, you know, I, I did, somebody had posted something about a cold start taking very little or no insurance. Can it work? And of course I chimed in saying yes. And I know a lot of people who have done it and part of what we're going to do, I'm the professional editor of independent strong, which is a Jobson publication 2024. Part of my editorial content will be showcasing practices who have either decided to drop insurances, either all or are in the process, who have cold started taking nothing, no medical, no vision, practices who take just one piece. So to showcase these practices that are out there, if people want to move in that direction, 
Um, but I did chime in on some and was told that, you know, basically you're crazy. You're going to be broke. It's never going to work. You have to do all of this. So I got so annoyed. My husband was like, why do you even chime in on these? I was like, I don't know. So I think, you know, just, and I said, oh my gosh, you know, what am I getting upset about? So I think that's what people will say was you have, you have to do it this way because it's the way it's always been done. And I challenged that by saying, why does it have to be that way? If it's always been done that way, can we do it better? You know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be open on evening in the evenings. I'm not going to be open on weekends. I'm in a retail location. Do I want to open Saturdays? No. And again, people said, well, you have to be open on Saturdays. I said, why? Why? And I think that there's a, a new push. You don't as, have to be open on Saturdays. You don't have to be open. You don't have to be open at night. No, I said, yeah. I, you know. But that's one of the things people said, well, are you going to be open, you know, you ha are you going to be open in the evenings and weekends? I said, no. And well, you, you have to be, what about the sales you're going to miss? It's yeah. okay. I'm okay with that, but I've, but I have a plan. Well, that's what you have to, you have to be okay with that. Like some people would say, you know, I've heard the, the complete opposite. I was so, um, uh, Aaron Warner was was in uh, Nebraska with me uh, about a month ago now, and he was talking about one of the doctors in San Diego. And this doctor looks at his practice where he actually has two shifts come in where, you know, there's like this first 10 hour shift and the second 10 hour shift. And he's looking at like my cost is so high to rent space in this building that I am going to take every opportunity to maximize that space. So there's going to be a doctor and, and staff shift here, and then that's going to switch over. And there's going to be, a, and I was like, wow, like that's another way of thinking, right? You're yes. saying, I don't want to do that. Not I don't want to mess with it. But he's saying, he's yeah, no, no. He's just saying like, I'm not going to spend mo this much money. Uh, one way to, to increase the revenue I can make from this. I'm already paying for this, this space 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, so my, my point is, is like, you don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Um, but it's, it is a way. And I, yes. I bet this guy prints money, you know? And I think it, you know, it comes down to knowing your, your costs. Like my rent is significant. I mean, I'm in a retail space in New Canaan, Connecticut, which is, it's a high space. So I looked at it and said, okay, if I don't want to be open seven days a week, you know, 24 hours a day, how can I, what is my thought process there? And it will be my per patient revenue. So I think yeah. that's where we get a little tripped up in identity is we're trying to figure that out and we're, we're getting squeezed everywhere. And, and so many people are stressed about, you know, patients are spending less money. Managed care is certainly not giving me a raise. So what do I do? Do I see more patients, which is one option, or do I really focus on, on increasing that per patient revenue? And I think either there is nothing wrong with either of them. And I think they both have, uh, you know, both are important, but it, you have to have a plan. You have to have a goal. You have to track it and figure out what to do to get to that place. It's not enough to say, I want to see more patients because I want to increase that. What does that look like staff wise? What does that do to your flow? How do you attract them? Yeah. How are you going to manage that? And, and it's just making smart business decisions. And I think so many of us operate under fear. We're, we're fearful of what we hear about the future, we're fearful of our patients leaving, we're fearful of being understaffed, we're fearful of being so dependent on insurance companies, but we're fearful of getting rid of that. And we don't, we're like, ah, you know, so I think there's just this fear of understanding and, and being thoughtful and, and coming again back to running a business. And I think that goes way back to our early conversation about time. It's really hard to figure that out if you don't have the time. So 
being the CEO and, and having this visionary mindset of planning and not just kind of being a hamster on a wheel and just, you know, making decisions on the fly because you don't have the time to think about where you want to be and how to get there. So I, I think no matter how we want to run our practice, whether it's, you know, having a, a high volume practice or for me having a lower volume practice with a high per patient revenue, there's nothing wrong or having a completely medical practice. One of my best friends is in Florida and she says, she's like, man, I wish we were, we could be next door. She wants to do only medical. She's like, I, I would send them your way. And I'm like, well, I'd send them your way. So it, it's, it's being okay with having things that you like doing, but it, I think it all again comes down to having a plan and putting that down on paper or typing it out and thinking about it and figuring out how to get there and not just, following trends because that's what everybody else is doing. And if I did that, I don't think I'd ever be here. People thought I was crazy for selling a practice at 41. You know, they're like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I, you know, I have, I have a plan. I didn't wake up one day and say, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I walk out of patient care. I had a plan in place. I had, uh, which completely, you know, was way, it ended up very different than I expected. The opportunities came because I had the time, but I didn't wake up one day and decide I wanted to, you know, I didn't have a bad day. I didn't have like a mean right, patient right, right. or a staff member calling sick and I'm like, I'm done. And I walked out. That didn't happen. This is, this was months and months and months of planning with my financial advisor, my accountant, my attorney, figuring my life out to get to that point and then already having a plan for what was coming after. So I think, you know, having good plans in place is, is essential in figuring out what, what, for me, it was what makes me happy. And then, you know, figuring out how to get there and, and relying on lots of friends who thankfully will listen to me and help me. And I'm like, what about this? Is this crazy? Oh, I think the biggest piece is having friends who are even riskier than you mm. um, and have kind of even a more unique thought process so that when I have an idea, they're not like, that's not going to work. They're like, let's do it. I'll do it too. Let's figure yeah, it they, out. They want to get in on it. And they're like, no, I, maybe I, I, I am like that in a lot of ways. I, so like I, um, I've got a, a, a group called F3 that I, that I work out with and I've, I've, I've talked about it on the podcast a number of times, but, um, I, uh, last week I had lunch with a guy in the group and he, um, he is a little younger than I am. He's about six or seven years younger than I am. Um, but he's, he is, he's wondering like, well, can I, can I walk away from this job I've got? And he has some unique skills. He's basically a, a lumber yard manager and he's, and he's thinking about how would he, uh, what, like, but he feels like handcuffed, you know, they keep him till the end of the year. Then he gets all his bonuses at the end of the year and he's got certain. So by the time he gets to the first quarter of the year, he's sort of all in for the year because like, I've already worked this hard to get these bonuses. And, and I was like, I was like, you could play this out for me. You know, if, if, if you had to replace your income on a monthly level and he's, he makes decent money, you know, he makes decent money. But, um, I was like, if you have to, if you replace that income to your family, um, what would that look like? And then I said, I said, okay, worst case scenario, worst case scenario, this completely fails in six months or in one year. What, what are you, what's the, what are you out? And, and then I was like, what do you want to do? And he was like, well, I want to build decks. You know, like I, I was like, dude, all you have to do is come up and show up when you, when we say you're going to give somebody a bid and then show up the day that, that you, that you say you're going to do the work and do the work. 
Like that's all you got to do. And, and uh, I was like, we, we just built our, well, we did our, redid our deck in 2020 and we had, I think four people that were supposed to show up for bids. One person did. And so he got the job. And, and so my point to him was like, and what, what would be your revenue on a, on a deck? If the deck costs $20,000, how much would you actually put in your pocket? And he's like, well, you know, most of the guys that do this, he, he understands all the metrics of the lumber, all the metrics. And he's like, well, usually they do, um, it's basically like our markup on glasses. Our average markup might be like 2.8 times or three, three times, right? So he's like, they do the same thing. So you, I was like, so you could build one deck a month, like a $20,000 deck. You could build one deck a month and you're replacing the income you're out. And he was like, I was like, this is a no brainer. Just do it. Yeah, like, like do it. I'll do it with you. Like I'll, I'll be your partner. It's like, you don't want me as a partner. Cause in five years you're going to have to pay me. But I was like, let's do this. You know, it's good to have those kind of friends. I'm not saying I'm necessarily that kind of friend, but it's good to have those kind of friends. Like, yes, let's do this. Yeah, you know, they kind of play it out for you. Like worst case scenario. It's like, that's not, there's no risk in that. Let's do it. And even, I think, you know, it is, I, I feel like sometimes I'm that person, hopefully to people, but yes, I have friends who, you know, Jeremy Ciano is one. He's like my optometry bestie. Oh, so uh, I, I've got to listen to that podcast when you guys uh, took over 2021. Cause, cause so actually, um, cause I, I think, yeah, we, maybe I should have a conversation with you about this too, but you know, Kyle Clutie, um, he and I are going to take over 2020 money and we're going to take over, uh, the opposite, yes. um, position as you all did. So anyway, sorry, keep going. I, so- yeah. He has a very similar mindset to me. So I feel like when you find those people who are similar in their thought processes and their philosophies, and I always try to align myself with smarter people. You know, I like to find people who are smarter than me, who have you know been more successful. And so I look up to that and then I think, okay, if, if what could I do to get there and have them to bounce ideas off of? So I think also having a network of, of people, I think sometimes optometry, we just go go at it alone so much. It's really easy to do. We, we're in our practice, we're seeing our patients, we're managing our team. We maybe, you know, go to a state association meeting once a year, but we don't lift our heads out and we're, we're just in our practices and we don't have this community of people that we can reach out to um, and say like, I have this crazy idea. What do you think? And have people who are honest who are like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So we'll see what happens. Or, um, That's like my <laughs> wife. My wife back. always asks me, she's like, she, she'll ask me my opinion about something and I have to, and, and, oh, that's a tough she, one. <laughs> and she already knows what she wants to do. And I have, I never learn. I never learn. And I say, I'll say something else. And she'll be like, no, I've already, and no. it's like, oh, okay, well then tell me, this is Why what you want to do. And I'll agree with you. <laughs> yeah. So having those friends are good and, and just, just having people to bounce ideas off of and knowing that, you know, I, I'm looking like the list of text messages I've gotten, you know, while we're sitting here and, and, you know, like, what are you doing here? What do you think about this? But having a good community of people that you can lean into and rely on and say, like, I'm struggling, you know, and, Super and important. I mean, there's moments where I'm like, oh gosh, you know, staffing, you know, I feel like especially holding, opening a cold start, you've got these you know, peaks and valleys of emotion and, oh gosh, is this the right decision? Or, you know, how am I going to do this? I mean, just last week I was like, okay, it might just be me and my office manager opening the business because it's really hard to find good people right now. So last week I was going, oh my gosh, you know, it just might be us. How many patients could I see per hour with her? What would our revenue per patient be? You know, again, I think about it through. And then this week we've got, you know, I have three interviews today and tomorrow. So it's like you go on these 
ups yeah. and downs and having people to kind of talk you down and, and pick you up also. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this is, this isn't working out. Have you ever thought about like, so, you know, I, I agree with you. It's, it's hard. It's not easy to find people, but um, <laughs> when you're looking for people or have you ever thought about like, what, what are they really desiring in a job? Like, like, yeah, they've got to make a good income, but, but like, what else are they? I found, you know, I think a lot of people that, so we did something in our practice recently that uh, I think our people value time. Like they value time away from the office. And so we basically have full-time employees that are working four days a week. And, uh, and that's been huge for even just attracting other people. But what if you need them that fifth day? What if somebody's out sick? What if well, then they get the opportunity. But they have now they have an opportunity for overtime, right? Somebody's out sick, and we can call them up. And if they don't want it, fine. Then we're just a little busier. And I will. I, I'll tell you, people that are committed to the practice and and really like. And I I feel like we've we have genuinely done a good job of taking care of the people that take care of us, and um. And that means they're committed to the practice. And it also means if somebody on that day where we're already running the kind of tight uh, and one person is sick, like one, we get less of that sickness. Like people realize like, I, am I really sick or I just don't feel quite as good? I'm coming in. Um, but then when the people are sick or have to come on, then like everybody else kind of steps up a little bit and they're like, yeah, I know it's going to happen. Well, we're just going to be able and, and it's amazing. Like what we can do with when that happens, like, Wait, we were way overstaffed for years. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Anyway. That's that's so. That's another piece I'm looking at is that it's easy to you know starting over. I can really look at how many staff do I actually need, and are there things that can be outsourced? Are there things that you know? Again, if if it's a practice taking very little insurance, that changes the staffing needs significantly. But um, yes, I think time is is what people value, which is one of our big selling points on my ad, when I put it on, mm. my big title said no evenings and no weekends. Yep. I mean, opticians are in such high demand. And I, you know, I looked at other ads that were out there and I said, you know, what sets me apart? Obviously I think I'm pretty awesome, but they don't know that. <laughs> so they don't know that. And I'm a new business. So, you know, what could I do to stand out to attract, again, I'm thinking of the staff member I want. Like I thought about the patient I want. What do I, what do what am I looking to attract? What type of person am I trying to hire? And I, and that's what we lead with when we interview is um, our schedule is no evenings, no weekends. And if you prefer four days, we can offer that as well. Um, yeah, awesome. and, and I think, yes, time, time, time. Again, I, what do I want? I don't want to work evenings and weekends. And that has been such a huge bonus when we, when we um, are interviewing people and I have, um, we hired our first optician, yay. So she starts yeah, in January. Awesome. Um, but she's coming from the corporate world where she told me, you know, December 31st is a Sunday. And she said, you know, we were she's supposed working. to be off, but they decided to open because they don't want to miss out on those benefits. And it's like, yeah. oh, she said, are you open on the 31st? I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no. A, no, we won't be no matter what day of the week it falls on because I want to be home with my family. But yeah. I think time is such a huge, we, we focus so much on the per, the dollars per hour, what patients are asking for, what staff members are asking for money-wise. But I agree with you. I think time is, is even more so since COVID. I think people really totally. value that. And that's probably the biggest question we get is what are the hours? Um, not what's the pay. I mean, obviously 
You can have sure, the best it's got to make college. sense. You're not yeah. going to be able to lowball them with better hours, but no. what you will be able to do is you attract them with with a good payment, and you're going to be able to uh, attract them away from other people or keep them uh, for longer because there's nobody else doing what you're doing. So we'll see if it works. We'll have to have a recap podcast in a year. Yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be fun. <laughs> see how I'm I'd love to have you back on. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, so but... I'll be respectful of your time. I, I, I've already taken a lot of it. So Dr. Jennifer Stewart, thanks so much for being on. Tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, you can find me on Instagram. Wait, I have to pull up my, uh, I forget my, my name on there. <laughs> your um, handle? <laughs> my handle. Uh, so my new practice is called Look New Canaan. So you can find me at looknewcanaan.com. We have an Instagram page there. Uh, I have an Instagram page for myself, which is Jennifer Stewart OD. I have a consulting firm, advisory firm called OD Perspective. So you can find me there as well. And connect with me on LinkedIn, social media. Again, what I love more than anything is making connections and learning from other people and, and hopefully making connections between other people. That's really what, what keeps me going. So I can't thank you enough for having me on here. You're welcome. Thanks for being on. Feel inspired and, and feel maybe if they've taken one thing away from this of thinking about their businesses differently, having a hard conversation with yourself about what do you like and don't like and be honest and that it's okay to not love everything but really lean into the things you do like surround yourself with good people and figure out ways to start steering your business in the way that brings you happiness, joy, and satisfaction. Because at the end of the day, isn't that why we're here? <laughs> Amen. Jennifer Stewart, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.